This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 293. This podcast is brought to you by Generation You Can, the revolutionary new way for runners to fuel. You Can keeps your blood sugar stable and allows your body to burn fat. Visit generationyoucan.com and use the code MTA Coach because this is the Ask the Coach episode to save 15% off of your order. That's generationyoucan.com and use the code MTA Coach. <laughs> Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we empower you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we answer questions about strength training, stretching, how to avoid cramping in a marathon, and more, as we bring you part two of our Ask the Coach Q&A. Plus, in the quick tip segment, Angie will share her top book picks from her summer reading, and of course, to get expert help in achieving your marathon goals, you can learn what we offer inside the Academy when you visit MarathonTrainAcademy.com. So Angie, I've actually been gone for a week in Orlando at a podcasting conference while well, you stayed back with the kids and, and held down the fort. So how's your week been? Did you get much running in? I know it was really hot up here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, I managed between the treadmill and getting outside for little jaunts. I managed to get 40 miles in last week. 40 miles. In four strength training sessions. I hate to brag, but <laughs> I did that and I got the kids to all their hundreds of different events in the preschool lead up. So you had a good week. Feeling pretty accomplished, actually. Well, in terms of running, you ran about 39 miles more than I did last week. <laughs> so congrats on that. So a little bit of running news. The Leadville 100 Trail Ultra just got over with, what, like yesterday, right? Yeah, first place male was a man named Ryan Smith, age 40, and he finished in 16 hours, 33 minutes, and 24 seconds. The first place female was Magdalena Boulay. She's age 46, and she finished in 20 hours and 18 minutes and 6 seconds. Of course, she's a big name in the ultra world. And I was also kind of tracking the movements of David Goggins, since I read the book Can't Hurt Me This Summer, uh, he finished 35th in 22 hours, 55 minutes. So very solid. And we'd also like to say congratulations to our friend Eric Strand. He just completed his eighth Leadville Trail 100, eighth consecutive, I believe. That's awesome. And he finished and got his buckle. So we're very proud of him as well. In other running news, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Elliot Kipchoge is going to attempt another sub-two-hour marathon. It's going to be in October in Vienna, Austria. It's called the Ineas 159 Challenge. Everything will be set up conducive to seeing if the first human being can go sub-two hours in 26.2 miles. Yeah, well, the whole running world would definitely be watching that with bated breath. So I mentioned I was at a podcasting conference. Just a quick word about that. This conference continues to grow every year. It's called Podcast Movement. But yeah, it was a lot of fun, a lot of energy. I got to hear some amazing speakers. One of the keynote speakers was Guy Raz from various NPR podcasts like How I Built This and the TED Radio Hour. But one thing I learned about just podcasts, and I, I mentioned this because, you know, all of you folks are listening to a podcast and you probably listen to other shows besides ours. Podcasts as a whole are growing in popularity and cultural inclusion. More and more media companies are getting into the space. More and more celebrities are starting podcasts. And according to a recent industry survey, 
Now, one in three Americans have listened to a podcast. I thought you were going to say one in three Americans has a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, be a, quite a lot. And just last year, it was uh, one in four Americans. Okay. So there's been quite a growth. So let me take this opportunity to say thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to the MTA podcast these many years. We've been doing it nine years, and we have almost a 1,000 uh, reviews on iTunes. We have a five-star rating. So thank you so much, everyone who's left us a five-star review on iTunes and recommended the show to your friends. Oh, and i got to say, too, when I was in Orlando for this conference, I was able to stay at the Drury Hotel, which is one of our podcast sponsors, and they've been with us since the beginning as well. You can actually get 15% off of your stay at any of their locations. They have over 150 locations around the U.S. Just go to our website. We have a link on the sidebar where you can save 15% on your room. So that's a little bit about what's going on here. Oh yeah, one more quick update. Last episode, we launched registration for the MTA Virtual Half. Just like to say a quick word of thanks to everyone who has jumped in to sign up for that event. Uh, it's going to be held in November. You can run the Virtual Half anytime in November, and then we send you out your medal. You also get uh, this year's MTA podcast running hat, trucker style. But thanks to everyone. We've got so far runners from 28 states and nine countries signed up. Of course, the U.S., but also Canada, the U.K., Germany, Norway, Denmark, Australia, and India so far represented. We've only had registration open for about 10 days now. so Yeah, and if you're interested in doing the Virtual Half Marathon, just head over to our website, and we've got a tab that says Virtual Half Marathon. Click on that, and you get all the details. So before we get into our Q&A here, we've got some great questions we're going to tackle. We want to give some shout-outs and see what folks are doing out there and just kind of spread the inspiration. So what do you got for us, Angie? This note came from Rhonda. She says, Hi, Angie and Trevor. I just wanted to let you know that I'm still listening and loving MTA. You two are like dear old friends to me, and I enjoy the sound of your voices to keep me company during all types of runs. I especially enjoyed the interview with Susan Lakey. Currently, I'm training for the Pikes Peak Ascent, and I've been very worried. But after listening to Susan, I no longer have fear. She made me realize that it's the challenge of these races that makes them truly worthwhile. Carry on, friends. You're the best. Well, thank you, Rhonda for that message and we've actually had Rhonda on the podcast a few years ago and she's a huge inspiration to us so glad you enjoyed that interview with Susan and of course uh, you guys can go back and listen to the interview with Susan Lakey who's author of the book Running Outside the Comfort Zone and talks about what it's like to be a deaf runner and to go all over the world doing races that are pretty crazy yeah that's right like the naked 5k in Florida one thing I did not do when I was in Florida recently. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> this note comes from Lindsay. She says, hi, Angie and Trevor. I'd like to express my appreciation and encouragement to my friend Grace Matera. She and I both ran our first marathons in 2018, and we both loved listening to your podcast on our long runs. Leading up to the New York City Marathon, Grace had 26 people who were important to her training write quotes on slips of paper that she read each mile of the race. I was so honored when she asked me to write one, and one of the quotes I included, of course, had to be, remember that you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> she is now training for New York City 2019, and while I'm not doing a marathon this year, I wanted to encourage her along the way. Happy running, and that comes from Lindsay. Yeah, so I thought that's such an awesome idea. You know, we've heard from people who will write their inspiration for every mile or kilometer, but to ask other people to actually give you messages that you open during the mile of the race, I thought that was really an awesome idea. I don't know how I would keep them in order and keep from like dropping them all over the course accidentally, <laughs> but I'm sure she had a good system down. So thanks for the idea and good luck, Grace. 
as you're training for this year's New York City Marathon. That's right. This note comes from Luke in the Academy. He says, I ran the Kidney 5K race in Buffalo, New York, and I had a PR of 17 minutes and 50 seconds and took first overall. It was one of the most special races of my young running journey as I lost my father about two years ago to kidney disease. I ran for him and remembered and thought of him just about every step of the way. Shortly after he passed away was the hardest part of my life, and that's when I turned to running to take my mind off the situation and relieve some stress. Now to see it continue to pay off in big ways is so rewarding to me. My father looks down on me and protects me every day, but today I know he was running right next to me and helping me cross that finish line first. Well, thank you for sharing, Luke, and congratulations on taking first place at the 5K there in Buffalo. And you're right, you know, running is... Just this activity, not just an activity, but just a way of being, you know, after going through something difficult. And it can pull you through those moments and redefine life in such a way you'll just want to keep running. We've seen it happen many, many times. So Yeah, that's for sure. Well, congrats to all of you and good luck in your training, no matter what event you're training for, whether it's a half marathon, full or ultra, or maybe just building up your first 5K. We're excited to be on this running journey with you and hope you enjoy this episode, we're going to dive into part two of our Ask the Coach Q&A with special guest coach Kristen Williamson, who's on our team, one of our fabulous coaches. We have 10 on the team right now. Kristen is a registered dietitian. She's also a certified running coach. She's an accomplished marathoner. We were actually driving through Minnesota, where she lives, and we're able to stop at her house and uh, record this. And in this part, you're going to hear a question about strength training. We'll also talk about when you should stretch and what is the appropriate amount of stretching for runners. And then we'll get into the all-important topic of muscle cramps and why they happen and how to avoid them. And then we have a bonus question at the end, which is a lot of fun. So let's go ahead and get into our Ask the Coach Q&A Part 2. So we have a great question here from Eli about strength training, and we can feel his pain here and identify. He says, I hear so much about the benefits of getting into the gym, but struggling with how to fit it in with five days of weekly running and appropriate recovery. If I go to the gym on a rest day, does that compromise recovery? If it does, how can it be fit in? If you add up all the advice out there, it's like run five days a week, but also make sure You are taking full days off for recovery, but also make sure you're getting into the gym twice a week for strength training, but not before or after a long run or quality run. (laughs) And also add in a day for cross training. That would be all great if there were 11 days in the week. (laughs) (laughs) Just a few things, you know, I think I can think of is um, maybe thinking about those days where you are running a little bit lower mileage. Um, See if you can maybe do some strength training with that you know, to really kind of complement maybe some of those easier days to add that in. Um, Another thought is, um, I loved what uh, Meb Kefaleski said about kind of changing the the way we think um, about our cycle. We tend to think in five or seven day cycles, Um, start to think about it maybe in like a two week cycle. So 10 to 14 days. Um, So that gives you a little bit more room, I think, to um, accomplish uh, some of those things and the things that we know, um, not only running, but also those complements to running as well. That's a good point. I'm glad you brought up Meb's strategy. And people can go back and read his his latest book, 26 Marathons. I believe he talks about that strategy. Yeah, I think especially for masters runners or maybe injury prone runners, there might be 
a lot to be said for stretching it out to a 10 to 14 day cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, You're doing a long run less frequently and there's also more time to get in that cross training and strength training. So yeah, I think, I think there is something to be said for that. However, I know a lot of people do work that Monday through Friday and the weekends are their only, Mm -hmm. only time to get in that long run. So it can be challenging. Um, a few things that he brought up, I would say, keep your rest day for rest. Yeah. So don't do any structured workouts on your rest day. Don't go to the gym. You know, if you want to take a walk with your family or maybe ride bikes with your kids, that's that's probably going to be fine on your rest day. But, you know, don't be trying to fit in an extra workout that's going to compromise your recovery for the next week. Um, and also... I really think there's something to be said for keeping the hard days hard and the easy days easy. Mm-hmm. I know one strategy that I've used is doing split workouts. And this mm-hmm. is not going to work for everyone's schedule. I realize that. But doing my speed workout in the morning and then doing my lower body strength training in the evening. So there's at least six hours between them. I think research shows mm-hmm. that if your goal is running performance, that you want to do that speed workout first. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you tend to do that lower body strength training first, then your muscles are not going to be recovered enough to do the run later in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're going to do a split like that, make sure you prioritize the run and then have the strength training later. So you can consider doubling up some runs um, with your cross training if that works for your schedule. Uh, maybe if you have an easy run, like an easy shorter run, then you can throw in a few minutes of yoga afterwards because that would be maybe a good way to just stretch and recover a little bit. But make sure that you're spacing them appropriately. And, you know, you talked about how you want to avoid really any heavy, intense strength training workouts around your quality runs, like your speed workouts and your long runs. For me, if you're going to be doing your long run on the weekend, it works to keep that lower body strength training earlier in the week. So I know I would probably do my lower body work by Tuesday or Wednesday at the latest so that there is at least that two day to three days to recover between your long run. I was just reading some research that says it really does take at least 48 hours for the muscles in your legs to recover enough from lower body strength training, which of course we do advocate. Mm -hmm. So if you're running five days a week in his case, you know, maybe for like Monday, do an easy run and some stretching Tuesday, do your speed work and then your lower body strength training, maybe some core work in there as well. Kind Mm -hmm. of a split day there Wednesday, maybe do your easy run. Thursday, you could do, depending on what your, your running schedule looks like, maybe some hills or easy work, and then do some upper body strength training and core. So you can mm-hmm. kind of split those things up. Friday, keep it really light, uh, especially if you're doing your long run on Saturday, and then Sunday for rest. And of course, some people do their long run on Sunday, so you kind of have to shift it accordingly. But if you kind of follow that, that pattern, like hard, easy, hard, easy, you know, there's a better chance of fitting it all in and keeping your body happy in the process. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, certainly. It's easier said than done sometimes to keep your rest days rest. I know we tend to want to go out and continue to do things, but just making sure you give your body enough time to to recover. Yeah, we actually had an Academy member who posted a great picture in the members group. She had taken her training plan and she had written them out on sticky notes And so she had done this up on the wall and each workout was represented by one sticky note. So she kind of placed them appropriately and it it really created a great visual. And then, of course, she could cross them off or take them down once she's done them. 
but it, it kind of also helped see how she was breaking up the runs, the strength training, you know, all the workouts. So I thought that was a really cool idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> it's like a sticky note mosaic. Yeah. <laughs> so for people who are really visual and they like to have that sense of accomplishment, you know, once you finish that workout, you can just take down that sticky note and crumple it up and <laughs> throw it in the garbage <laughs> or, you know, whatever. You can keep it if it's special to you as well. Yeah. So Kristen, I know you, you have to commute to work. Yeah, the, I do. I do. So do you get your run and your workout in uh, before you leave or do you, are you an afternoon exerciser or how does that work? That's a great question. <laughs> you know, I will say right now I am an afternoon kind of after work exerciser. I'm making the gradual transition to morning. Um, I was a morning exerciser and then had um, a switch in my work schedule. Um, and so really I'm trying to get back to that morning. Has it been hard? It has. It has. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> what's, what's hard about it? You just feel like you don't have as much energy in the afternoon? Yeah. You know, and one thing with summer is it's very hot and humid, um, especially around the time that I get home. Um, my mm -hmm. commute is also very long. Um, and so I will say that getting home in the afternoon, it, it's it's pretty tough uh, to go out and do that in the afternoon. And then, you know, the other thing is too, I, I used to be a morning exerciser. And so you feel really great kind of checking something off, at least for myself. It's nice to kind of have that accomplished for the day. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the day. Yeah. I feel like as a morning runner, if I don't get that morning <laughs> exercise session in, I just have less energy and crabbier. Trevor can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> I also wanted to add in for Eli, you know, he talked about going to the gym for strength training. You know, I think especially if you're you're starting out and trying to implement regular strength training, don't feel like you have to be in the gym mm -hmm. for an hour banging out all this hard stuff. Don't underestimate, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. For some people, it works better to gradually start adding elements to a home gym. Mm -hmm. It can be just like one of those big exercise stability balls. You can do a lot of different exercises with that, you know, core work, um, even having things like bands at home. You know, you don't necessarily have to have like the full regimen of the gym to get in an effective strength or core workout. You can do a lot from home if if that works for you, you know, because I know a lot of people, they're like, well, I run in the morning, I work all day, I want to be home with my family in the evening. Well, you can throw down a few core exercises and, and strength exercises while you're spending time with your family, you know, maybe while you're watching TV in the mm -hmm. evening. Um, you can kind of pair your strength training, your core training with things that you already do. So you don't have to feel like, well, if I don't get to the gym, all is lost. Um, there's been many a time where I've just, especially this summer, we haven't had access to a gym on a regular basis. So I've just had to do like push-ups and, you know, body weight squats and lunges and just whatever I could do. <laughs> All right, so here's a question about stretching, and this comes from Yali. Sorry if I mispronounced your name. The question is, how do you stretch appropriately before or after a long run or race, especially when there is a lot of standing around before you actually start running? What about stretching in cold weather versus warm weather? What are some ways you stretch before or after? All right, so let's talk about stretching. Most of the time, I forget to even do this. I'm not so. surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing you very well. Yeah. I've still managed to run like 18 marathons. It's amazing yeah. you're still alive. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is, I think when you're standing around in cold weather, which tends to happen more in those fall races that are coming up, 
you almost are encouraged to more move and start to warm up some of those muscles. One of the things when you look at stretching, you know, there's been some research to say kind of what works better, especially when you look at warming up before a race and research is pointing to more of that dynamic stretching. So maybe mm-hmm. doing more of those movements. So, you know, doing like very quick sprints, you're not going for a long, long speed run, uh, but doing some of those quick sprints to really kind of warm up those muscles. Also doing some like butt kicks or jogging in place. Um, you know, if you're standing in a corral, you know, you obviously don't want to move around too much. <laughs> Maybe doing that before you get in. So when you go to a race, Kristen, you don't like slip back into your old gymnast mind <laughs> and just get down in splits. <laughs> She's no, doing flips on the side. Of that'd the... be pretty impressive if I could still do it. <laughs> I don't think my fellow runners would appreciate me too much either. I typically, I do try to be a good kind of running comrade and warm up outside of the corral if I can. There are a few times where I am, I will admit, I'm cutting into a little close and <laughs> need to get in. Um, but just even doing, you know, and I think this is more probably to keep my toes warm. It's a good, serves as a good reminder, but just even like doing kind of quick steps, um, you know, if mm. you are in the corral and just need something to do just to start to warm up those muscles. Yeah, cold weather can be tough, and especially those bigger races like maybe Chicago, New York City, mm-hmm. when you're standing around longer, you know, maybe yeah. you have to get bussed there several hours in advance. So I always advise people to bring throwaway clothing, like an old pair of sweats or yoga pants, hat and gloves, a sweatshirt. The more that you can stay warm and avoid shivering, the better, because once you start to shiver, your muscles are all tense. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel more tense. Um, and it takes a lot, a lot more time to warm up. And yeah, just walking as much as you can. Sometimes the bigger races, you actually have to walk. Like I remember Berlin, we had like walk almost a mile to get to the starting line. So I was feeling nice and warm by that point in time. But like you were saying, and also just, you know, even marching in place or like going down into a deep squat and just kind of, you know, letting that release, it just kind of helps open up your, your muscles a bit mm-hmm. and avoid that stiffness from standing there with your knees locked and nerves and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> helps I think sometimes to get those nerves out to that point you know if you're moving or doing something it can help to kind of calm yourself down I know I usually get pretty nervous even before races where I'm not running for time but just kind of help you get in the mindset but it sounds like the science points to the fact that static stretching before your body's warmed up so before you run is not a good idea you you risk pulling a muscle, hurting yourself in some way, right? Static stretching, if one is going to do it, should be done after your run. Yeah. Yeah. After your muscles are warmed up, you know, really making sure that your blood's moving and you really aren't stretching out of place. And some research has also said, you know, static stretching before may even be a little bit detrimental to performance as well too. You know, some people tend to overdo it or Mm -hmm. bounce or really kind of overextend their muscles. And so making sure that um, you're not putting any more strain, um, you know, on your body before you're really getting ready to go out and do your best. Yeah, as, as runners, we do want a little bit of tension in our muscles. Yeah. That's that propulsive power that's going to drive us forward and stuff. And definitely agree, save the the static or more passive stretching for after your run when you're maybe in your cool down routine. Mm-hmm. I actually like to do a lot of yoga poses after a run. I just mm-hmm. kind of have this routine I go through, just kind of like lunging forward and stretching out the hip flexors. 
Um, maybe going into pigeon pose that stretches kind of the glutes and the IT band pretty good. Mm-hmm. Maybe going into down dog and just kind of pedaling the feet. It really stretches the calves good. Child's pose, it kind of stretches out the back, you know, because mm-hmm. that can, your back can actually get kind of sore and tense during a long run or a race. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, doing some things like that to cool down the body. If you have any areas that are particularly problematic, like maybe you deal with tight calves, then, you know, after the race is the time to adjust and to to stretch those areas. After a long run, I often like to stand on the edge of a stair or a step and just kind of let my heels hang down. And it just kind of provides a nice loosening of the calf muscles. Um, but yeah, definitely for afterwards when your muscles are warm. <laughs> Whatever the pose is that you just lay down on the ground, that's my preferred one after a long run or race. <laughs> Hold down the floor for a while. It's nice. What do you do after a run, Kristen? Do you have a little routine you go through or? Yeah, very similar to Koji and G. Um, you know, there are similar yoga poses that I like to do. Um, you know, it not only helps to stretch, but I think helps you wind down too, almost close out that run and then kind of get on with your day. Um, so definitely doing, you know, if you're familiar with yoga, the crescent lunge and more of those lunges to really open up your hips. Um, runner's lunge to uh, happy baby where you're laying on your back. Yeah, and, that feels good. Yes. <laughs> Just kind of opening up and feels really nice after a long run. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's a question about muscle cramps. This is from Hannah Lena in the Academy. She says, how to avoid muscle cramps at the end of marathons? Ooh. How does one do that? <laughs> I will say I haven't experienced this myself, but, you know, I've definitely experienced it with other people and it's, oh, it's tough, especially when you're getting into those last final miles. Yeah. Anything can happen really. You know? Yes. <laughs> you never know. You never know. You know, I think one of the best things you can do, um, especially in your training is one, just make sure you're prepared for that marathon. So make sure you've got a solid training base training properly, you're doing enough of those longer runs to make sure your body is up to the challenge uh, when you get to race day. Making sure you stretch or you warm up uh, before your marathon. Uh, so do incorporating some of those dynamic stretches um, that we talked about a little earlier. And then the kind of the last section um, or last possibility, there are a few different kind of reasons you may cramp, um, but something you can find towards the end of a marathon is maybe electrolytes or salt. Uh, So if you're noticing that you've got kind of these crystals uh, forming or you notice white streaks, you know, on your face after some of your long runs, um, maybe a good indication to take some of those electrolyte or salt tablets with you, uh, get those in at the end of a race. We've been using Hammer Enduralites for years now, and I take them to just about every marathon. Yeah, it's always good to kind of have them in your back pocket. I know most people around that time also tend to bring out the salt tablets, so you may have a few people along the side of the road who um, are willing to help out, um, especially around that time. And a lot of races are starting to offer things like pickle juice in the later miles of a race. There has been some research that has shown that pickle juice can pull the body out of a cramp. They're thinking it's the vinegar in it mm, um, and mustard as well, because it's a very vinegary based. Mustard sounds disgusting to me, but I think pickle <laughs> juice, I've tried that before. And like you were yeah. saying, I think research is showing that kind of the two main causes of muscle cramps typically later in exercise has to do with that electrolyte imbalance, mm-hmm. like you were talking about. And typically the symptoms of that, it can be in multiple muscle groups 
it tends to be intermittent, which means it comes and goes. Like you feel this cramping and then maybe it'll ease up, you know, mm-hmm. if you start start walking. Um, another thing is it usually comes on gradually and it can jump around to different muscle groups. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the symptoms if you possibly are dealing with an electrolyte imbalance. And then you can address that, you know, making sure you're having the electrolytes. Another thing they say to avoid is to avoid drinking tons of plain water mm-hmm. during an endurance event. Because, you know, if you're drinking just plain water and you're sweating a ton, your body is going to get this imbalance and need that sodium. Yeah. It's not really absorbing it. So sometimes it can just sit in your stomach and I've had that feeling before where you just almost actually hear it flashing around. (laughs) Um, And Mm. so having those electrolytes or salt to start absorbing that, Um, you know, if you have a sports drink, most marathons have a sports drink out there, just getting something in Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to help that. So your body's actually taking in uh, that fluid that you're drinking. Definitely. A couple good ones are You Can Hydrate mm-hmm. and also Drip Drop ORS to shout out a couple of our sponsors here. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, another reason that people tend to cramp is what they're calling altered neuromuscular control. So it's due to like a muscular overload or fatigue in a muscle group. And this usually happens in a single muscle group. So it might just be one side, like one calf in particular, because your calves, when you're running, they're in a shortened position. So they don't really get to fully extend and they they can be really prone to cramp. I've seen that a lot, especially in my male runners. Um, They usually come on suddenly and they usually stick around. Like you're not just going to be able to like shake it off very Mm -hmm. easily. So if you were like stopped in your track by a sudden onset of a cramp in one particular part of your body. It could be this muscular overload. And usually you'll have to start walking, maybe stop and stretch Mm -hmm. it. They usually do respond um, to some stretching and to some massage. But, you know, it could persist for a while and it'll usually knock you off your pace. It can be really, really frustrating. Mm -hmm. Uh, So some of the things to address that um, include improving your conditioning, like you were talking about, Kristen, getting plenty of, of long runs in and making sure that you're, if your marathon's going to have hills, to run hills, to kind of simulate some of that fatigue at the end of a marathon, doing things like combo runs. So maybe doing like some hills and then to finish up with some sprints before you cool down. So you're working different uh, muscle fibers in the same run. Um, also addressing muscle imbalances. I know for me, I used to deal with hamstring cramps and it was because my glutes weren't strong enough. They were not firing correctly. So my hamstrings were having to take over the job that my glutes should have been doing. They would start getting fatigued. My right side would start cramping up really terribly. And I would, you know, kind of start hobbling. It was super frustrating. And so just addressing that through strength training, particularly my glutes to make sure they're doing their job has been really helpful. So, you know, if you find that you're always having one muscle group that cramps It could be because it's taking over for another muscle group that's not doing its job. It could be that you need to work on more stretching, maybe get regular massages to work out. Possibly there's like some muscle knots that are going on in there. And of course, you know, keeping up with your training and everything. So those are some things that are known to help. So Kristen, all the marathons you've done, you've never had cramping. You know, I will say I've been fortunate enough not to. I'm going to knock on wood. (laughs) Um, You know, one thing I've done to kind of prevent that is, um, especially with some of my fuel later on in my marathons, I know I am a salty sweater. Mm -hmm. um, And so making sure I include some salt and electrolytes, which I think has, has really helped steer that off. Have you been out there, though, and had something else go wrong that you could share? (laughs) 
I'm trying to think of which time. <laughs> um, there are a few times where I have gotten out, so I sometimes tend to sign up for late races. Um, and, you know, I don't really plan out my fuels. Um, and so sometimes, you know, if I'm trying to get something open, I like miss it or mm. it falls down, um, you know, and I, I'm not able to get it. So I have to kind of rethink my strategy, okay, of where I'm going to get my fuel next. Oh, wait, wait. So, so you're out running and you drop your fuel and then you can't just like stop right in the middle because people run into you. Right. So right. you're like, I got to keep going. And there goes my, my fuel for this mile or this, this section, right? Or if it like yeah. falls all over the ground, it's not like you're going to be picking up your whatever and like shoving it in your mouth. <laughs> it's not worth it. It, not worth it at that point. Um, so yeah, so I've had times where that's happened. Wow. You know, it's slipped out. If I'm using a goo or a gel, I don't open it beforehand and try to open it and it falls out of my hand or, you know, I'm using something else. And again, it, it maybe does spill over the ground. And so kind of rethinking your strategy um, and really kind of figuring out, you know, what's next. Um, and I think the one of the best skills I've been able to build as kind of a runner who's been doing this for a while is really listening to my body you know, and really being able to make those tweaks to understand, you know, do I need fuel right now? Should I hold off? Um, you know, should I make those adjustments? Um, and what do I need kind of at this point to get me through the next X number of miles? And what do I do if I drop it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I remember I was carrying my fuel bottle before I started using the UCAN snack bars. I would carry the UCAN liquid in a little handheld and right pretty much the start of the race I dropped it and so and then it was like you know people behind me I couldn't like really stop I had to go to the side of the road wait till you know the press of people had passed dart back retrieve my bottle because that's what I was going to be using for the next 26 miles and so I couldn't leave it behind and yeah that was one of the things I never did again it's a little stressful (laughs) (laughs) but you recover and you know kind of get on with your race exactly yeah I think probably one of the other things, um, so I recently had a half marathon, I think last November, and I had been training. One of my goals had been to qualify for the New York uh, Marathon. Um, You know, I'd qualified for Boston and was looking for something a little bit harder and had tried a few times and just my fitness was not there. Um, And so I showed up on race day last November and, you know, was really motivated, really on fire, felt like I had had a really good training cycle, had kind of a plan in my mind to stick with um, actually a pacer. And as we started going, um, I quickly realized that that pace was not sustainable for me at that day. Um, and one of the hardest things I think I've ever had to do is mentally like watch that pacer go and turn a corner because almost in your mind, it's like, I'm watching my PR, you know, go and leave me. So, you know, I had to, I think, keep fighting almost through that entire race to say, you know, you're still in this. Um, You can still do it. And, you know, it wasn't until the last kind of turn of the corner, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to qualify um, cross the finish line. And it's such a tough thing to do in, in the middle of a race. And especially where you're running hard and you're just giving it all you got. But, you know, I think it's such a sense of accomplishment to be able to kind of turn that mindset and really deal with those negative feelings, you know, throughout that yeah. time too. Did you qualify? I did. Congratulations. I did. <laughs> Wait, so you, you showed up and then once the half marathon got going and you started settling into the pace with the pacing group, you just felt like it was going to be an off day, like something was off. Yeah. And that happens. You know, we've talked about how it's just really hard to predict if one's going to peak 
at a race, you know, elites have this trouble all the time Yeah, and they have to fight those mental battles like you described. So you kind of let the pacer go, but stayed close enough, I guess, that you were able to still get in under the time. I did. So I knew kind of what splits I had to maintain. Um, and you know, after I let the pacer go, I just kind of kept telling myself like, this is your race. You're going to do it Mm -hmm. your way in the way that you know that you can. Um, and so really just tried to maintain pretty consistent pace, um, and then pick it up in the last few miles because you're so close. And I know I was just thinking of the the feeling of crossing the finish line and not accomplishing that goal and having worked so hard um, that that I think really fueled my last few miles to say, this is something you can do. You just need to give it your all and just go for it. Do you feel like you kind of switched to a plan B in that moment? Plan A, stay with the pace group. Plan B, maybe stay close to the group. Yes. Yep. So um, I usually, when I set out and kind of I'm thinking of races, I usually try to come up with three different goals for, you know, almost like a contingency plan. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I did have to switch to kind of my B goal to say, this is what I know is possible and adjust my, my plan from there. That's smart. Yeah, that's such a great point that you have to show up being ready to run your own race. Mm-hmm. I know there have been a few races where I've shown up and thought, I'm just going to run with a pace group. And that's what that's how it's going to be. And then for some reason, I have bad luck with pacers like they leave and are never seen again. And the pace, <laughs> or the pace group falls apart. And you know, you have to be there and to just run your own race yeah. and, and just do the best you can on that day and be willing to adjust. And that's why I think long distance running is such a good metaphor for life because life is like that you know we have the best laid plans and often things go wrong and you have to adjust and and I think running can help make you more resilient because even if you don't make your goal even if you know you quote unquote fail it still teaches you something and you still realize that you are more than that that goal you are more than that failure and you can come back and and reevaluate and possibly try again um so Yeah, I really love that about running. Absolutely. I'd say the same thing. You know, I think when you guys talk about running a marathon and changing your life, you know, I truly see that to be the case, whether it's you're building more confidence, you know, you're setting out a goal um, and accomplishing it and really putting your all into that. I agree. It can be a really great metaphor for life. (laughs) And thanks to all the the folks that send in questions. Of course, we got more questions than we had time to get to. We always enjoy doing these uh, Ask the Coach Q&A. And of course, it's been great to have a guest coach, uh, Coach Kristen from our team on the episode with us. We have one more question, a really fun question from Pat, longtime Academy member. And I think we can make this a bonus question and so I'm going to shout out a quick word of thanks to our sponsors. And you guys uh, stay tuned for the bonus question from Pat, which is, what's the funniest thing that has ever happened to you on a run? All right. Big thanks to our sponsor, Generation You Can. And you heard us just mention that we like to fuel using You Can uh, snack bars for our long runs and races. They also make an amazing super starch that you can mix with water and carry with you in a small handheld bottle. We've certainly done that as well. UCAN is the only fuel that's powered by super starch, which is their patented ingredient that delivers steady energy and keeps your blood sugar stable without those spikes and crashes that come from traditional sugary fuel sources. That's right. It was developed for a young boy named Jonah who was born with a rare metabolic disorder that prevents him from breaking down the body's glycogen. But now it fuels everyday runners, weekend warriors, and Olympic athletes like Meb Kofleski and Alexi Pappas, which are two elites that we've had on the podcast this year. I've personally used it for over 50 marathons and ultras, and it's kept me going strong and feeling great. 
Go to generationucan.com forward slash MTA. You can is spelled U-C-A-N and use the code MTA coach to save 15%. That's right. Also, if you're a new customer, you can use the code MTA25 and get 25% off. So give it a try and see why we like it so much. That's generationucan.com forward slash MTA. Coach Kristen, what's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you on a run? I was going for a run in Chicago. It was kind of early morning. Um, Love running down there. You sometimes never know what you're going to see. So I uh, started out, uh, was going to run through Millennium Park, if you're familiar with Chicago. Um, Is that where the bean is? That's where the bean is. (laughs) Just a little south of there. And I was running to actually go over to a crosswalk near where Navy Pier is. And all of a sudden, I see this man who was streaking <laughs> through the streets. Um, I have to say, that's probably the most interesting, interesting thing. Did he pro- have running shoes on? No, he didn't. He didn't. Just completely, completely nude. Completely wow. nude. I got to know what time of year it was. You know, it was fall. So it actually <laughs> was a little cooler. <laughs> No accounting for that. <laughs> so you, you never know. I think there were some other people around that were out for their morning run. And I think everybody was kind of awake after that. So it was a good kind of wake up. <laughs> did we really see that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought that for a while, too. Yeah, did that really just happen? You know, <laughs> am I sure that's what it was? <laughs> oh, man. So is there anybody listening to this podcast thinking, that was probably me? <laughs> Please let us know. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt it. An interesting it. twist. <laughs> So Angie, what's the funniest thing that's happened to you on a run? Well, I think probably most of my funniest moments are just ways I've embarrassed myself on runs. One that comes to mind, it was funny later. It wasn't funny at the time. I always carry pepper spray, handheld pepper spray during my run because I've had lots of run-ins with loose dogs who want to chase or bite me. And so I just, it kind of petrifies me to run without pepper spray. Um, and so I had the pepper spray and there's this house coming up and I saw the dog coming and he has bothered me before. So I got the pepper spray out and once the dog got close enough, I gave it a blast. I didn't account for the direction of the wind and it just blew all the pepper spray back in my face. And, you know, it's kind of like one of those split seconds where you see it coming and I had time to just kind of like close my eyes and boom, I was hit with the pepper spray and the dog probably thought, oh, she's going to taste like pepper spray. I'm going to leave. I didn't even know what happened to the dog. I was so focused. And I thought, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then it hit me. It was like wow. the burn was just so intense. It like oh. kept intensifying, I swear, for the next hour. I had to like run like 30 minutes to get back home. And it was just like the combination of all my pores were all open. I was sweating and you know warm already. And just this pepper spray just felt like... It just continued to heat up and heat up and heat up. And like, even in the shower later, I couldn't use warm water. The warm water made it worse. I was like in there, you know, shampooing multiple times. Oh, this is not a fun story. <laughs> oh, no. But it, I mean, it was it was not funny at the time. But I mean, I just have, have to laugh about it because it, it was actually pretty funny. Because So you <laughs> continue to run after that happened? I Yeah, I had to get back home. <laughs> That's intense. So you... You chalk that up to your self-professed lack of coordination. You know, it was just one of those things I never thought about the direction of the wind having affected it. And I'm actually kind of glad that it happened because now I, you know, before I use it, I test the direction of the wind. If I see like a dog that's heading for me, I'm like, okay, 
what direction should I angle my body to be ready for this thing if I have to spray it? Yeah. So, I mean, it was actually a really good learning experience. And I, I can laugh at myself and realize that a lot of the dumb things that I do are actually yeah. pretty funny. <laughs> and next, if you ever have to use it again, you know, God forbid, but you have been bitten before uh, in our old neighborhood. But if you ever have to use it again, you could say to the dog, this is going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. <laughs> I feel your pain. Yeah, I feel your pain. <laughs> mm. Well, thank you so much, ladies, for sharing your uh, knowledge and expertise here on the MTA podcast. And Coach Kristen, thank you for letting us stop by your house here and hosting us. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast. It's It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, it has. All right. Well, thank you to everyone that sent in a question. I always enjoy doing this kind of Ask the Coach Q&A. Now we want to jump into our quick tip. And if you want to learn more about Coach Kristen and also how MTA coaching services work, you can head over to the website. We have a page over there, our coaching page, which will tell you all about it. Just go to marathontrainingacademy.com. Just a moment. We're going to talk about one of our favorite things, books. And Angie's going to tell us what she's been reading uh, this summer and uh, give you guys some good recommendations. Before we do that, we'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, On Running. This is a running shoe company that we have fallen in love with. They're based in Switzerland, On Running, O-N-Running. I love their trail shoes, and just today I ordered a pair of their road shoes called the Cloud Flyer, which is like a, a road shoe with some stability, but it's lighter weight. Yeah, I have run two marathons in the Cloud Swift, and like you said, we both did our 50Ks, trail 50Ks in the Cloud Venture, their trail shoes. So basically, they have a full range of shoes and also apparel to help you in no matter what activity you're doing on and off the trail. The shoes are so comfortable, you won't want to take them off. You know, we think that you should try a pair of ons for yourself. You can do that for 30 days, put them to the test, run in them before you decide to keep them. That's right. Just go to on-running.com to test them out, experience what it's like to run on clouds. That's on-running.com forward slash MTA, on-running.com forward slash MTA. Thanks also to Tiger Balm Active. No matter what kind of runner you are, whether you're a beginner or you're an ultra marathoner, soreness and stiffness are often universal experiences. But doing what you love, whether you're running or strength training or setting new personal records shouldn't mean that you feel wrecked the next day. And Tiger Balm Active Muscle Gel wants to help prevent that from happening. This muscle gel helps your muscles cool down after you've pushed yourself hard. And even if you don't feel sore yet, it helps combat muscle fatigue. So you can use it right after a workout. The Tiger Balm Active Gel aids in recovery with a cooling then warming feel that will work out whatever tension a foam roller can't do alone. And one of the best parts, and it's not sticky either. So help your muscles recover after your workouts. Just go to your local CVS or Rite Aid store to pick up Tiger Balm Active Muscle Gel. And while you're there, you can also grab their Muscle Rub and Muscle Spray to get those hard-to-reach places. That's Tiger Balm Active, available at your local CVS or Rite Aid. All right, so we're going to talk about book recommendations. Angie, you are a big-time reader. You read and listen to a ridiculous number of books every year. Any idea what your count is up to at the time of this recording? I have not tabulated it, but I don't think I'll exceed last year, which was like 263. But I'm like not trying to compete. It's just kind of what fits into my, my daily life because I want it to be something enjoyable. Of course, reading is one of the big joys of my life and definitely a lot of great books out there and so little time. <laughs> 
So you spent a lot of time this summer reading because I was doing all the driving on our big summer trip. So basically, 7,719 miles of traveling in the car. You had a lot of reading time. Do you have some great uh, books you can recommend to folks? Yeah, there were a lot of great books that did stand out for my summer reading. And obviously, some of them are not related to running, but we'll kind of specifically highlight the ones that are more like running or mindset related that can be more applicable to what we're talking about today. But yeah, I think, you know, of course, we've talked about this on a couple of different episodes. I think my favorite book of the whole summer is Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Yeah, I read that too. Just a note, though, if you are offended by strong language, don't get it. Don't get it on audio and play it in the car with your kids. (laughs) That's just... (laughs) One of those things. It'd be good for our kids to read, you know, if there wasn't so much strong language in it. Exactly. Yeah. They might need to be a little bit older before before they take that on. Um, I almost feel like he needs to do like a PG version of the book to like put out on audio so that kids can listen to it because he has so much great mindset stuff in there. Of course, he has a very interesting personal story, overcame a lot of challenges in his life and voluntarily takes on these amazing challenges. Of course, went through SEAL training and Army Ranger training, Army Army Ranger training. This guy just, if he sees a challenge, you know, there's like no backing down from it. Of course, a lot of stuff that you read about him doing, you know, back in the day, he would just push his body to the breaking point. So doing things like running 100 miles in a 24-hour race with basically no preparation. And fueling with like a protein shake and crackers. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, don't necessarily take his training methods. It's more like take his motivational lessons and the mindset stuff to heart. Yeah. So that's the book Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Another good one that I read was called You Only Faster by Greg McMillan. And if you're the type of person who really likes to dive into the individual variations of running and training plans, this book is for you. If you like to tinker with yourself, tinker with training plans, this is one of those books for questioners. He really talks about how you can maximize your running potential, be a healthy runner for life, and the differences between more endurance-based and speed-based energy systems in your body. So some people have more like endurance-based muscles and some people have more speed-based muscles, but there's a way that you can maximize whatever you have and become an accomplished endurance runner or, you know, definitely help take yourself to the next level. So it's, it's kind of a very instructional book, but there is some, some really um, helpful mindset stuff in there as well. Did it help you get faster? Well, I mean, it didn't help me PR, but <laughs> I did have a really good summer marathon. So who knows? All right, so that's called You Only Faster by Coach Greg McMillan. Of course, I'll mention briefly the book Running Outside the Comfort Zone by Susan Lakey. It's a really fun and relatable book that makes you want to get outside your comfort zone and not let fear hold you back. And you can check out our interview with author Susan Lakey on episode 291 for more information on that book. The next one is called The Long Run by Matt Long. And this is one of those running books that sat on my shelf for nearly a decade. I'm embarrassed to admit. I get a lot of books, and sometimes I'll get them from a book club that I belong to, thinking I'm going to read it someday, and it just kind of sat there, and I never read it. And so before this summer, I was like, I'm going to read some of these running books that I haven't gotten to yet. And this one is just amazing. Matt tells the story of how he went from being a New York City firefighter, a triathlete, and a marathoner gunning for a BQ to being run over by a bus while he was riding his bike. 
and he survived against overwhelming odds. He had multiple surgeries, basically had to relearn all aspects of mobility again, as well as deal with serious depression. And this is one of those books where you end up feeling like any excuses that you have are weak sauce. <laughs> you know, if like Matt can... Get hit by a bus and still run a marathon. It's, it's amazing. It's like where there's a will, there's a way kind of book. So that's called The Long Run by Matt Long. So you mentioned getting books via a book club. You're talking about paperbackswap.com? That's right. Yeah. That's So why do you like that site? Well, it has a, a huge variety of books. And personally, because I read so much, I cannot keep every book that I read. And so if there's a book that, that I won't read again or reference again, then I try to pass it on to someone else. So yeah, you, get, you basically swap credits and you can get um, books. And, and the only cost is the shipping of the book. Exactly. So people request a book that you have, you send it out, and that's on your dime. But if people have a book that you want, they send it to you on their dime. Yep. So it's a great way to get books, um, another source, without having to buy them at full price and kind of like recycling your books, basically. Yeah. Paperbackswap.com. And once again, that book was The Long Run by Matt Long. Another one I read that we've had for quite a while is called Run or Die by Killian Jornet. And it was really fascinating to hear his story. Um, he's from Spain. He talks about how he was raised by parents who loved the outdoors. I mean, when they were like, he and his sister were little kids, they were having them do these incredible hikes and overnight mountaineering experiences. Just Like more incredible than the hikes we took our kids on? Up in the Pyrenees. Oh, our kids <laughs> don't do anything <laughs> compared to this. And it really, it's interesting how growing up that way, really molded his mindset and his determination to take on some of the world's top running challenges. Of course, he's also done ski mountaineering and duathlon. I mean, pretty much anything this guy does, he he does it well. He pursues it with excellence. One of the top ultra marathoners. Yeah, and he's very accomplished for an athlete just in his early 30s. I think maybe he's 31 now. And you read the book, you realize that impossible and give up are not in his vocabulary. So that's the book Run or Die by Killian Jornet. All right, what's next? Another book I read is called 14 Minutes by Alberto Salazar. This is a memoir by Alberto Salazar, and it's very interesting, kind of provides a behind-the-scenes look at the way he was raised. So he was born in Cuba, but raised in the United States in Massachusetts. And, and it kind of tells a story of how he turned to running, uh, his long-time battle with career-ending injuries, uh, how he got into coaching, and then the near-fatal heart attack he had at age 49. Pretty much the only thing I knew about him previous to reading the book was that he was the head coach for the Oregon Project. And what I'd read from Dick Beardsley's book, Duel in the Sun, about how Alberto won the 1982 Boston Marathon. It was just a really, really close, neck and neck. grueling race. Um, Alberto also won two or three New York City marathons in the early 80s. So he was a very accomplished um, marathoner. I didn't even know that he had had a massive heart attack and was dead for 14 minutes. Yeah, and it's like, you know, he weaves that into the book along with his backstory and everything. It really has affected him, obviously, going forward. And um, he talks a lot about his personal spirituality. And so, yeah, it was a very interesting book because I didn't really know much of his backstory. So I always enjoy getting a behind-the-scenes look at people. All right, so that's called 14 Minutes by Alberto Salazar. The next book is called Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. And this is a really interesting book about the humble and often tenuous beginnings of the Nike Corporation. Which Phil Knight uh, co-founded. That's right. After reading about the struggles that 
Phil Knight went through to bring this company to success. It's truly amazing that the global phenomenon that we know of today almost didn't get off the ground. In fact, the name Nike, it was just like a last minute snap decision that he made, had to make to name his company. And it's just amazing. It's just really interesting. You think of like, oh, this is a very, very, very successful company. And just to think of, it was basically built on the dream of somebody who refused to give up and just put everything, their heart and their soul into the business. Was he the guy that was making shoes, like the the rubber part on a uh, waffle iron in his kitchen? No, that was Bill Bowerman, who was basically the one who was tinkering with the running shoe, always modifying them. And at the time, there really weren't shoes that were specifically for long distance runners. And so often coaches would would make modifications on their athlete's shoes, make track spikes for them, and they were always trying to improve the shoe. And so it was really interesting how the company got off the ground barely. I mean, I kind of felt anxious reading the book because I knew how it turned out. But it's like, how is this ever going to work out? This is a headache. <laughs> So keep that in mind, folks. Before you go starting a billion-dollar company, <laughs> there will be a lot of headaches. It will be a lot of hard work, but <laughs> it will be worth it if, if it gets off the ground. Yeah. See, that's why I, I, I don't start billion-dollar companies, Angie. Okay. Good to, <laughs> good to hear. <laughs> so that's Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. What else you got for us? Well, the other one I wanted to talk about just briefly is called Presence by Amy Cuddy. This book explores the power that being present has over our emotional, mental, and physical states. She talks about, in part, I mean, the book is is very detailed, but in part, she talks about how the posture of our body can influence our thought process and also help us take on challenges. And this relates in particular to what's called the power pose, your body language may shape who you are. And so obviously we know that people make assumptions about us based on our body language, but she talks about how research shows that our body language also affects our internal mental and emotional state. And she talks about how power poses where you're opening up your body and taking up space. You know, you think of maybe the runner who crosses the finish line first, and it's like a universal sign. People throw up their arms in the air. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, you know, crosses all the language barriers. And so she's interested in the question, can you fake it till you make it? Because maybe you don't feel confident. Maybe you notice that you kind of make yourself small. You're crossing your arms. You're kind of shrinking shrinking in on yourself, you know, especially maybe you're nervous about a job interview or a race or a long run or something that has you nervous. Um, she's kind of asking the question, do our bodies change our minds? And the research shows that even two minutes of doing a power pose can increase your testosterone and decrease your cortisol, which is your stress hormone. Wow. And it can make you feel more confident, passionate, authentic, and enthusiastic. So, you know, we hear the term fake it till you make it. Her encouragement is fake it until you become it. And that tiny tweaks, even in our body language, can lead to big changes. So what would be a power pose? Okay, so, you know, maybe you feel weird, like, standing with your arms in the air. Um, Putting your hands on your hips. Standing up straight, putting your hands on your hips, and, you know, lifting your chin a little bit. That would be a power pose. So this kind of stuff would be good to do, perhaps, while you're in the corral 
before your half or full marathon, right? Exactly. Or, you know, any time that you're going to have to be walking into a challenge. Maybe in public you'll feel weird doing a power pose, but even in the bathroom, you know, for a couple of minutes, do a power pose. Open yourself up, take up space, breathe deeply, you know, lift up your chest, lift up your chin a little bit. Opening up your body language can really help your mindset and your confidence and help you perform better in life. So that's called Presence by Amy Cuddy. And of course, I read a lot of other great books, both fiction and nonfiction this summer, and we'll include a full list of those with the show notes over on our website. You can go check those out if you're interested. That's right, MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. When you're over there, you can also get a free resource called The Runner's Toolbox, eight essential, inexpensive items to keep at home to help fight and treat injury. A little resource we put together for you when you opt into the uh, MTA newsletter. And you can also send us a message through our contact form over there and find us on social media at Marathon Academy. Thank you to Drip Drop ORS for sponsoring this episode. They make an electrolyte powder developed by a doctor to treat dehydration. Just mix it with water. It works fast. It tastes amazing. You can do it before a run, after a workout, and you can feel better instantly. That's DripDrop.com. Use the code MTA to get 20% off any purchase. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks again. And remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way, right on my way.